probably heard people saying, I've done my research. But in reality, research is a lot more than a few Google searches. And the problem is, when you picture a researcher, you probably think of somebody wearing a lab coat and trying to take over the world. I'm Anna. And I'm Beck. We're two researchers wanting to break down these stereotypes in a fun way. Welcome to We've Done the Research podcast, where we chat to researchers about who they are, the amazing work they're doing, and why it's so important. So today on the podcast, we have Angus Davis, who is a research assistant at the Centenary Institute. He's done an honors at the University of Sydney in nursing, and he has his sights on doing a PhD. His research focuses on heart disease, from using apps to improve our heart health, to revolutionizing the way we think about measuring electricity in our heart. So welcome to the podcast, Angus. We're so excited to talk to you. Perfect. So Angus, just to start it off, um, I guess what we're interested in is hearing a little bit more about your journey and whether you always wanted to be a researcher. Uh, yeah, so I am a nurse first and foremost. So I did I, I did a Bachelor of Nursing um, and then went into be a graduate nurse um, at Royal Prince Alfred Hospital. Um, and I so said that was a number of years ago now. And uh, yeah, during that experience, it was, you know, hard work on the ward, but also um the hospital offered an opportunity for people to uh, work part-time and also do an honours degree at Sydney University in nursing. Um, And so I took up that opportunity um, and, yeah, have enjoyed it ever since. Um, So I did my honours degree a few years ago now, over part-time over a couple of years, um, and then really enjoyed it enough to then, um, yeah, pursue work in research um, beyond, which is what I'm currently doing. Yeah. And so the honors degree, it's a one year research project. Can you tell us a bit about your project? Yeah, sure thing. So I ended up doing it over two years um, part time, but it was a um, my supervisor was working um, on a randomized control trial. So trial where we got lots of different um, people involved and put them in two separate groups. And we were looking at people with um, uh, coronary heart disease or people that had had a heart attack. Um, And we were looking at different ways to help them um, rehabilitate because um, we've got a pretty standard method of helping them with that. It's a complex intervention um, where they attend a program and it's often run by hospitals. Um, But of course, with our busy lives, not everybody can make it to those things and um, not everyone goes even when they're referred and it's a whole, um, whole thing all around that. And yeah. so it's actually a great of... program that that's here in Australia. So every single yeah. person who has a heart attack basically gets sent to this cardiac rehabilitation program. They have exercises they do weekly in a class in person, and then they have education sessions all about, you know, why did you have a heart attack? How can we stop you from having another one? But like you said, not everyone can get there during the day. People are back at work. People are busy. Um, so yeah, how did you solve that problem? Well, there's there's quite a large group of people working on lots of different options for that. Um, so there's a large, yeah, across the world, everyone's trying to find a different way to help people. And um, my supervisor was working on an um, phone app that's um, gamified. So as in a game on your phone to help you with rehab, which sounds pretty crazy, but yeah. <laughs> um, um, that's 
yeah, that's what we were working on. And it was doing a large trial on that. And I was sort of, I, I came in and I focused mostly on, well, how, who's using it, how are they using it and how are they finding their usage of it? And so that was sort of the primary focus of my honors degree. Nice. Yeah. And so to do that, did you talk to people that were using the app or did, were you looking at data from like the software? How did that work? Um, I, my honors was primarily looking at the data from the software. So going, going in and saying, looking at all the different ways that they use the app, um, and seeing what, um, yeah, what was used, how often was used and how long people used it for and all those sorts of things. And yeah. can you tell our audience a bit about what the, what the app was? What's, what's in it? How does it work? Um, yeah, so it's a, there's a little heart avatar. Um, so it's like, it's a, in a shape of a heart. Um, and it sort of responds to how you're going, um, with your heart health. So if you're going well, um, heart looks happy healthy and it's running around a green paddock um, <laughs> but if you're not going so well it looks sad upset all dark and it's a dark background um, and the ways in which you could do that you would track your health so you'd say oh, i went for a walk today or i went for a bike ride or i ate something today um, and so you'd have different ways to track but also there'd be these things we call missions, which were sort of just like rehab work. So sort of, it might be, I, you know, I read the back, of, back label of a, um, of some food and shows the low salt option or something like that. Um, and so there'd be lots of different things to sort of help people get into those rehab, um, habits. Yeah. So leading those healthy lifestyles, like feeds the heart, makes the heart stronger. Whereas, you know, if you sit on the couch all day, your heart sort of—it's <laughs> a very visual of your heart sort of shriveling up, isn't it, and getting getting yeah. a bit sick. So it, it would be encouraging to see that visual because you can't always feel what's happening with your heart. You know, you want to lead a healthy lifestyle to make your heart healthy, but you can't always sort of see the link there. So it's really cool to have that visual. Yeah. So it was yeah, it was quite a novel thing and. Um... Well, after my honors, we did a few focus groups and that sort of thing to see what people felt about it. Um, and yeah, that, that, uh, paper is still being written. Um, but even though my honors is finished, the larger paper is still being written. So, oh, we're yeah. excited to, to share that with everyone. And I think I'm going to age myself a little bit here, but do you guys remember nano babies or Tamagotchis? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Like a similar yes. idea where you had a little baby on a screen and you had to feed it all the time and you had to clean up its poop and stuff. Otherwise it would die, which is sort of tragic now that I think about it. Yeah. Um, but it's sort yeah. of a similar idea, which I know I was addicted to mine as a kid. So I could see yeah. how this might work. It was part Tamagotchi was used in the research proposal, I think, uh, <laughs> in, in the oh, initial stages. So, cool. uh, uh, yeah, it's, um, yeah, so, and there was, there's another app that um, I think may have even been developed in Canada initially. Um, oh, nice. That, uh, um, Shout out to my Canadians. That, <laughs> yeah, that was to help kids do things to do, to make uh, climate positive um, actions. So, you know, think about oh. their environment. It, used a lot of that game and was developed by the same people to, uh, yeah, to move it over to, let's see if it works for hearts. Yeah. That's 
that's so awesome. But like the only thing that I'm thinking is like a lot of these like gamified sort of um, things are often for kids. So how does it sort of work trying to get an adult to use it in as opposed to a child? Yeah, it's a good question. And I think it's going to, I think it is sort of fits with a particular demographic of, um, uh, of older, yeah, of an older adult. Um, Cause I mean, Candy Crush is played quite often by people <laughs> of, um, a, yeah, a little bit of an older generation. So um, it's sort of to try and there were some other little games in there that were a bit like that um, to sort of get people involved in that kind of thing. So it's not unheard of because um, mm. people of all ages play games on their phones. Um, but yeah, it's definitely for a particular demographic and it may be that we find that it doesn't make much of a difference, but we might be able to repeat it with some tweaks in 10 years time and see some more significant changes. Yeah. yeah. As more people have smartphones and more people get used to the ideas of apps and things. Um, that's such a good idea. And it's nice to see it's sort of working across the age ranges as well. Awesome. So how did you get from working on that particular project for your honors to where you are now? Um, yeah, so I finished my honors and, um, I think it was at like a a lunch. We had like a, we had a, we worked, my supervisor has a journal club that runs at the university and there's a lot of people involved in that, not just those that are in her field, but also just other people around the university that were working on different things. And maybe and you I can just... explain what a journal club is. Yeah, sure listening. thing. So we, it's a group of, um, yeah, group of researchers of a lot of us are early career researchers, but with some more experience people in research. And for this journal club, we meet up, um, someone chooses a journal, um, paper to read. So it's a research paper, original research paper, and we sort of read it together and we, um, talk about it. Um, and yeah, we, it's a lot of it's used as a teaching, um, opportunity for, from our supervisor just to be like, this is like, you know, let's read this table together and how can we use this table in our research, that sort of thing. So it's Mm. sort of a, uh, it's sort of, it's a group of people working in, um, cardiology or heart medicine, um, to and heart medicine research, just sort of thinking about that all together. And also critiquing a bit, you know, what's good about this research, what's not so good and how can we make sure we don't make the same mistakes in the future and make our research as good as possible, um, is, is another thing, a learning opportunity from journal clubs, which is great. Yeah, no, it's so it's a very valuable time. And it's also a great way for people to sort of connect and meet that are all of um, working in similar areas. Absolutely. Um, so you're at the journal so, club. And, and what happened? Well, it was the you know, it was the end. It was the end lunch. And I was like, if anyone needs a research assistant, uh, oh, you next just year, put it I'm out o- there. I'm open for business. Yeah. <laughs> I um, love it. <laughs> so, yeah couple of months later after a few discussions with one of the people that work in it she was like you know what I'm actually need I've got money for a research assistant do you want to help me out I was like sounds great um and so yeah it's sort of that's that's sort of yeah the basics of how I came into it and it was sort of she was working in an area that interested me um greatly which was working on um ECGs or you know Pitch, electrical pictures of hearts and uh 
Yeah, and I suppose from your nursing background, you'd also have, um, you know, a little bit of insight into ECGs and um, sort of how they work. But for our audience, can you maybe explain a little bit more about what an ECG is and why it's important? Yeah, sure. So um, it's an ECGs, what it, the full word is electrocardiogram. Um, and so gram meaning picture, um, cardio related to the heart and electro is an electrical picture of the heart because the heart works has a electrical flow through it that um, beats every minute as you would have seen on tv the you know people have got the beeps you know uh, when they're in the hospital the beeping monitor um <laughs> yeah. that's the, that that kind of thing so they're an electrical picture of the heart and you can tell quite a lot from an electrical picture of the heart um, about someone's heart health how it's beating um, whether there's some injury whether there's um, an underlying problem related to an electrical electrical issue with the heart um, and so you can tell quite a lot about someone's heart health um, just from looking at an ecg that's amazing awesome. and so what's the big problem you're trying to tackle looking at ecgs right now yeah so looking at ecgs but particularly looking at athletes um mm. as as you can imagine people that are fitter have their hearts work differently um and it's particularly for athletes they've developed in a particular way um through a lot more training and a lot more work um on their heart and so they've all they've all developed quite similar um similar issues so oh, but they're not issues and so that's sort of the where it's sort of coming from because if you look if we went back going back 10 12 years um we were just using the same just the what we would normally use for people generally we were using on athletes mm. and so many people were coming up with all these problems and then when you investigated it further there was no problem okay so, so what type of things ah. would be different do their because their hearts i would assume would work a bit more efficiently um yeah so so what do we see in athlete hearts that are different to say you or i um they're often beat a lot slower um yeah um and yeah more efficiently so they'd have they've got bigger heartbeats so that means that um yeah so one of the things we look at is how like how large the heartbeat is and in normal people if that haven't haven't done a lot of exercise a large heartbeat's a sign of a big problem um with their heart um oh. but for athletes it's very normal um and so there's little things like that so um yeah i i think i think i've got here it's a about a four-page document of all the different how to interpret an athlete ecg compared to a normal ecg that i've helped develop so um there's a lot of differences um, and um, yeah, there's a lot, a lot of electrical differences that we expect in, in all athletes, um, which is, yeah, it's, it's expected, but also very interesting. And is there sort of um, with that, you know, you were saying that athletes in general, you know, sort of have these different ECGs. Have you looked at whether that differs between different types of athletes? Um, yeah. So there is developing research in, different groups of athletes and um there's sort of two two large it's probably more yeah probably three large groups of um people that are being looked at um at the moment and there's there's a guy who in the us that spends a lot of time 
looking at athletes, ECGs, and there's a group in um, the UK, and there's also a group in Dubai where they all they they they've spent a lot of time looking at different athletes, and that's all three different sort of ethnic groups as well within all of that, and very different sports um, and all that kind of thing. Um, so we've got we've got a big criteria of different athletes, and we can see that there's some um, there's some differences reflected in this big criteria for. Um, there's one difference for black athletes. Um, that's normal for them, but would be abnormal in other athletes. Wow. Um, there's one difference for um, between male and female athletes. Okay. Um, only one, and there's one for athletes under 16 um, in the current criteria. So. Wow. Yeah. It's, so age, so sex, and ethnicity are all yeah. coming into play. They all seem to make a difference and even sport, um, but that's not in our current criteria. So there's sort of, mm. we've got some criteria that are really good for a large majority of our Caucasian athletes, mm. um, but we are missing, we feel like we're probably missing something in terms of um, across different sports, gender, um, ethnicity and all that kind of thing. Yeah, because this is coming up a lot in medicine, um, that a lot of the research has been done on white or Caucasian people. And we now know, well, it may not apply to everyone anymore. And it, especially, you know, the different subgroups of women or uh, children or people of different ethnicities. So this work is so important. Yeah, for sure. And my particular... Um we've got a particular relationship at our institute with um the with cricket australia and so a lot of our work has been um with our cricket teams um and if you sort of sit and think about it um you'd expect a different ecg between our fast bowlers who are coming in and have to run all day um and throwing down the ball um they expect a difference between them and our female batsmen who right. are a much smaller, um, mm. uh, not even they're putting um, different sorts of strain through their body. They've got more endurance over a long period of time to, and they're running just up and down on the same little bit there. Um, and so you'd expect there to be a big difference between those two groups of people, but mm. we're using the same criteria. Um, and so, um, that's sort of part of the part of the thing that's we're going well. Common sense says one thing, but we're wanting to try and develop some research to sort of back up our general thought processes. Yeah, yeah. one size does not fit all. <laughs> yeah, no, it definitely doesn't. And so, how are you sort of doing that research? I mean, um, you know, what sort of methods are you using to? Um, you know, develop these new criteria that you're talking about. Yeah, so we're, yeah, there's a lot of different ways in which we're, um, yeah, trying to help the whole process. Um, my current involvement is in two different things, particularly. One, I'm um, writing a systematic review or a review of all current research on um, ethnicity Um and the way that it affects ECGs. So I'm looking across all ethnicities, breaking it up, seeing how all of the different um, ethnic groups um, make a difference 
to their ECGs and looking at all our current research. Wow. Yeah, it's basically looking through every single research article that's ever existed about ECG and ethnicity, and you're sort of making sense of it so that other people will understand and, and will help inform your guidelines. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. I'm working on that at the moment. Um, awesome. Big undertaking. Systematic reviews are nightmares. <laughs> Yeah, look. huge amount of work. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 been yeah, it's a lot of work, but it's been good. Um, yeah, my um, desk is covered in different tables and stuff that I've been developing over the last few months. Um, That's awesome. And we're also um, working on a uh, developing a registry for all athletes in Australia to put um, all athlete organisations to. Um, yeah, put together, put put all their ECGs in one place so that um, we can, yeah, have them all together and start to do research within our registry and do comparisons between sports and ethnicities. So in theory, in the future, when someone has a, a 16-year-old Aboriginal um, javelin thrower, they can look up other 16-year-old Aboriginal javelin throwers over the years and see how their ECG compares. Wow, that would be so helpful. And, you know, it's it's funny you think about it, you know, something like this, um, that it doesn't already, you know, it doesn't already exist or it hasn't already been collected. Um, but I think that's like a lot of things in healthcare. And I, I mean, these sort of things will be so helpful moving forward into the future as well. How does that work with like collecting the data and then it being stored somewhere? in terms of like from an ethical perspective, um, is that something that the athlete signs up to and then they say, yeah, I'm happy for my data to be stored in this registry or how does that work? Yeah, it's a good question. We're still developing all those things and um, each sport um, does it to a varying degree um, at this point. Um, but yeah, for the Australian cricket team, that that's more what we're that's our that's our starting point and we're adding in other people and for them it's a um, opt-out option for them to be involved um, to have it stored um, and um, stored it in a system where it can be re-identified to them so as in it's not you can, might be able to see it separate from their identity but can be re-identified if there's a problem or something down the track so that's probably the base that we'll generally be working off. But at the moment, we're still in a discussion with a whole bunch of people um, to try and work out, yeah, work out the best way it works for works for everyone. Yeah. Takes a tribe, doesn't yeah, it? All those negotiations. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So right. where, so where are you up to now with your research journey? And and you did say you had a bit of vision to do your PhD. So are you thinking doing doing it on this topic? Um, yeah, I'm still, I think that's, it's sort of going to be through the year, um, as I think about, um, yeah, where I want to go with research in, into the future. Um, yeah, we were having a bit of a discussion, um, in the journal club I'd been talking about, we're having a bit of discussion. What is our big goal for the year, um, for yeah. everyone? And for some people they're in the middle of their PhD, so it's, you know, finish my results chapter or it's, you know publish this paper or whatever. But my big goal was to work out at the end of the year whether or not I wanted to continue in academic work um, at the end of this year and work out if that's what I want to do, let's set the pathway towards that. And so, yeah, 
at the moment I'm thinking yes, but I'll see how this year goes and um, it'll be a PhD in a couple of years, potentially in this area. Yeah. And so you're still working as a nurse now? Yes, still work as a nurse um, in the cardiology department. Um, and yeah, so um, I spend a lot of time with hearts. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so we have a little segment here called Peak and Pit, uh, where we ask you what's your best and worst part about being a researcher? Yeah, um, I think the best part is um, anytime, anytime I'm with, um, with a patient or with somebody involved in research and I've, I'm giving them something to be part of a study or whatever, and I know it's going to help mm. them. Um, that's, that's a really awesome moment to sort of go, oh, they start to look at it and they go, this is great. Um, I've been looking for something like this and that kind of thing. And that's just such an awesome moment. And I think that's partly come from a nursing background. Um, that's, that's the, that's nursing's, um, bread and butter that I've made a difference and helped somebody. And so that's a really huge part of, um, research for me. That's definitely a peak. And then oh, what was the other yeah, word? Pit? Yeah, um, the worst part. Uh, <laughs> I think Rebecca yeah. and I can definitely relate to your peak. We, we both, um, uh, our work has direct impacts on teenagers and women with breast cancer um, and some men with breast cancer. And we get a lot of feedback from them. And just reading some of the feedback is just makes my day. It makes me want to continue in research. So I can definitely relate. Yeah, it's 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 definitely the best part. Um, and um, Pitt, I'm not a natural writer by any stretch. I don't know um, no, definitely not, <laughs> and, especially but, not academic writers. It's a whole different style of well, writing. <laughs> yeah. So days when I'm just sitting and writing, um, yeah, it's uh, they're they're uh, they're definitely the harder days. Um, yeah, I I don't think um, I think if I told any of my high school English teachers that I um, my job primarily required me to. Um, write a lot and uh, write well they'd be quite surprised so uh, it's, um, that definitely that's definitely the hardest part is communicating that in a written form because I love talking about it um, but uh, communicating in the written form is always a little bit more difficult well we're so excited to talk to you about it then. <laughs> Even yeah better. exactly this is a far this is this is the best way to talk about it uh, uh, to communicate what I do yeah for sure yeah 100% and so we now have a segment called Audience Asks, where we have some questions from our Twitter audience. Um, and Clara Zwack asks, is there an optimal age to include ECGs in uh, pre-preparation screening? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I don't know that there's an optimal age. Um, I, seeing as I'm currently doing a systematic review, um, I have seen... Uh, yeah, eleven-year-old athletes appear in this uh, in these papers, um, and yeah, I think it's it's a it's all about as it's as early as possible so you can start to develop a, a baseline. Um, for cricket Australia, I think it's from I think it's from the under fifteens. I could be wrong, but we do ECGs as standard, um, and it's every two years um, until they're twenty-one um, that we. 
uh, I think it's 21 that we check the ECG if there wasn't a problem. So um, the, early, the earlier you start, then, then you can develop a baseline and see how they change over time as they're more involved within the sport. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And then, you know, as you are saying, if you end up building up that registry, you'll have people of all different ages as well, which will be awesome. Yeah, and and with the cricket teams, we've got most most of our cricket players have got two or three ECGs, and so we can see if there's a change over time. And um, particularly with one measurement, um, we call the QT interval, which is um, the time between when you have your sort of big heartbeat, and then and then when your heart gets ready again for the next heartbeat. Um, that can start to get elongated with um, when you're an athlete. Um, but there's also a serious medical problem when that gets too long. Um, and so we're actually able to see over time um, how their QT intervals changed. Um, and we're writing a paper about that at the moment. Um, awesome. So, yeah. I'm really excited to hear about that. And yeah, I guess it's probably one of those things you go, oh, is this person an athlete or, you know, do they have a serious medical condition? And you kind of have to weigh up all these things as well. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's all part of the, well, we've got to, because we can't read, we can't check everyone for all problems. Yeah. And so it's good to know if we know at the beginning that that's, we can go, yep, that's fine. Or it's a, no, that's, we need to look more deeply. And that um, leads to our next question from Matt Hollings at Exercise Nerd One. Um, he says, "Does the Christian Erickson event have anything to do with this, you know, need for pre-screening? And could pre-screening of his heart have prevented or or warned him that this was going to happen?" And I believe Christian Erickson is a footballer. Yeah, somewhere, yeah, and he collapsed on the field. Is that right? Yeah, he collapsed on the field at the Euros, and um, yeah, I'd, I'd already started work in this area when that all began, and there was a there were a few questions flying around our um, group around all of that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, um, he would have had to have been part of some pre like some screening. He would have had it done, mm-hmm. um, and that's the sort of thing we want to avoid. That's of sort course. of the big purpose of the screening is to once we can identify further, we can avoid that happening for him in the future um well that's the hope anyway but he would have definitely had some screening done um Mm. but as we develop as we continue to be more sophisticated with our screening we may have avoided that event yeah absolutely and would there be a way in the future once we have all of the data to use sort of um artificial intelligence to analyze it for you so you could put your um, ECG of an athlete in and then it automatically compares to similar athletes? Yeah, potentially. Um, yeah, we, we should be able to do that um, to a certain extent. Um, but at the, yeah, definitely at the moment, it's uh, we trust in our um, electrophysiologists to have very the very precise um, learnings. And while, so, while I um, can interpret and have developed some things to help interpret, we still have a body of four for for cricket we have a body of four cardiologists that look at every ecg that comes through wow that's amazing yeah we maybe would once we get it yeah yeah once it becomes a more and more intelligent but yeah yeah down the track <laughs> yeah 
Awesome. Well, Angus, it's been great chatting to you today and we're so excited to hear more about your research in the future. Um, if anyone from our audience wants to keep up and hear about your research when it's published, is there somewhere that they can follow you? Um, not, not yet. yet. Um, no, I, no, I, haven't, uh, um, I have not uh, delved into the essential need to have Twitter as of yet, um, but... Um, my f initial post will be uh, um, pointing people to this podcast. So um, oh, that's what we like. To know. Know. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Thank you so much. And before we let you go, do you have a top three tips for us to keep our hearts healthy? Uh, yeah, um, make uh, exercise regularly. Um, okay. Try and get that 30 minutes a day, five days a week or 150 minutes a week of moderate intensity exercise. Um, well, how was it described to me? Um, you can talk, but you can't sing uh, yeah, when you're yeah, doing yeah. intensity <laughs> exercise. Um, yeah, keep keep uh, keep your salt um, levels low um, for sure. Um, and if you end up having a, a cardiac event, take your tablets. Uh, um, they'll they'll they'll, uh, they'll definitely keep you healthy for a long time. So, so Very. important. And I did a study showing that using an, a medication reminder app actually helps with that. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the apps apps are the way. friends. Yeah, so, apps yeah. are friends. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again, Angus. It's been a blast. Um, we'll share all of your details on our website and um, we can't wait to see what's next for you. Wonderful. Thank, Thank you so you. much. Thanks for listening to We've Done the Research today. We hope you enjoyed listening to Angus's amazing research. And if you'd like to keep up with us, you can follow us on Twitter at DoneTheResearch or at our website, we've done the research.info. Catch you next week.